0: Hey everyone, Greg shoots here for readyforthedraft.com. This is the Ready for the Draft podcast. We are less than a month away from the NFL draft, which is set to begin April 25th, Nashville, Tennessee. I can't wait. We've got a lot to cover, including why did it take me over a month to put together my latest mock draft? We've got two rounds, working on the second round, getting that up onto the website here in a couple of days. Also, I already had to make a change to my first round. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. But before we jump into the pre-draft process, I do need to give a little bit of an update on my torn Achilles tendon. We're about three months out. I did it uh, December 27th, running up a hill in uh, Corona Del Mar, Orange County, Southern California, uh, visiting family there for the holidays and uh, tore the Achilles, didn't have to have surgery. I am actually boot free, no more boot. And uh, actually, you know, doing some physical therapy now. And, uh, you know, I'm taking the small victories whenever I can. In another week or two, I should be able to start scaling some stairs for the first time since the injury. So really excited about that, getting sick and tired of, of riding elevators. So I can't wait for that. Again, taking the, the, the small victories whenever I can. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the NFL draft and really take a look at my mock draft and really where I see things shaking out. Really what we're going to do is we're going to go through the first round and we're going to take a look at what the each team is doing in round two and kind of what I'm looking at where I see that the team's possibly going. So obviously with Arizona kicking things off number one, overall look, Kyler Murray, I said last year, if John Dorsey wanted to change losing culture in Cleveland, he'd drafts Baker Mayfield. I try to fit that into just about every podcast. Did it just again. Point for me. But uh, look, this year, you've got Cliff Kingsbury. If you want want to run that, that offense, that air raid offense that Cliff Kingsbury runs... You gotta have a quarterback who's going to fit that system. Josh Rosen is more of a drop back passer, a guy who I think would fit well in a West Coast style offense, but not a Cliff Kingsbury air raid offense. Which is why Kyler Murray, I look at what Kyler Murray does out on the football field, and he just he looks the part for for that type of an offense. Um, you know, Kyler Murray. Uh, again, you know the the QB rate in the QBR, at 96. That's the highest ever since that QBR uh, was ever in existence. Um, you know Kyler Murray. You see the baseball background absolutely. You know the number nine overall pick of the uh, Oakland Athletics in the baseball draft. You, you see him. You know ability to get out on the perimeter, throw the ball uh, with accuracy on the run, changes his arm angles when needed. And uh, I'll tell you what, a game against Alabama. Yes, oh, you wound up losing the game. But when you're outside the pocket there, you see Charleston Rambo getting beyond the safeties, getting over the top of those safeties, cutting loose with the ball, not even setting his feet off. One foot throws it 55 yards in the air to a streaking Rambo for the touchdown. You know, that's really all that you need to see in terms of his arm strength It just pops and just you know flies off of his hand everyone that was at his pro day um, you know if you go online, you see that everyone was talking about what an exceptional job he did. He's going to be the quarterback there for the Arizona Cardinals. you know I, I, you can't really talk about smoke screens or anything like that because this is the guy who I think is going to be the best fit. look, Cliff Kingsbury recruited Kyler Murray to come to. Texas Tech, you know he was there, um, you know at, at Texas uh, Texas A and M for one year before transferring to OU, and uh, when you look at Kyler Murray, you know it just it makes so much sense. Where is Josh Rosen going to go? We really don't know what, uh, the answer to that, but uh, my pick there, number one overall, Kyler Murray going to Arizona. Now Arizona number, you know with the second round pick, um, you know Arizona is going to be going uh, receiver. In, in you know my eyes, um, you know what you look at with with Arizona is you know adding some of those weapons for for Kyler Murray. Obviously, uh, Larry Fitzgerald is thirty five years of age. This could be his last year. Um, you know what's interesting is Christian Kirk also played with with Kyler Murray uh, when they were both freshmen at Texas A and M in twenty fifteen. Um, so you add another receiver who's played with Kyler Murray in Marquise Brown. You know, I've got Marquise Brown going in round two. He's a guy who could be a top 20 talent, if not for that Liz Frank injury. Now we can talk to guys like Des Bryant and uh, and Hakeem Nicks who have had this injury that really haven't been able to recover. Um, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case with, with Marquise Brown, but his game is all about speed. It's all about getting vertical down the field. And if he's not able to separate because he's having issues with his foot, that's going to be a huge issue. But when healthy, man, there is nobody who is more electric than this guy. You know he he caught passes from two Heisman Trophy winners back to back years, uh, you know, and uh, I I think if he's healthy and gets on the field, I think he'll be a game breaker for for Arizona over the top. He's used to playing with Kyler Murray, so he knows some of those nuances there with with uh, playing with their college quarterback. So I think that would be a good fit for Arizona at the top of round two with number thirty three overall. So you move on to the team with the second overall pick, and that's the San Francisco 49ers. Now look, San Francisco is sitting there hoping and waiting for Nick Bosa to fall to them. When the talk came out about Kyler Murray, you're getting yourself a pass rusher. Now I've heard a lot of talk about Quinnen and Williams and the fact that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are in love with Quinnen Williams. That's fine, and that's all well and good, but when you look at this team— You've got Solomon Thomas, a guy that you drafted number three overall, uh, you know, just a couple of years ago, and this is a guy who's really struggled to make an impact. You know, he was more of a, a, a five technique there at Stanford, and uh, you know, being asked to play a defensive end in, in a four-three scheme, it's not really working for him. You move him inside; he's a lot more effective there, and, and uh, you get a pass rusher on the outside to team with D Ford. You know, you got Bosa and Ford on the outside. DeForest Buckner, who had 13 and a half sacks a season ago. You pair him with Solomon Thomas on the inside with Eric Armstead coming off the bench. And you've got yourself a formidable front four. That's pretty scary. You know, Joey, Bo- Joey Bosa, when he came out, he was the number three overall pick to the Chargers just a few years ago. And you saw the athletic ability. You saw the talent. You saw the, the hand usage. You know, just so... You know from the time that he set, set foot on on campus there in Columbus and you see a lot of those same traits with as Nick uh, you know Nick is another guy you know the hands able to quickly disengage you know slap those hands down uh, quickly turn the edge very very flexible with with uh, his ability to to turn the corner relentless in his pursuit of the football and look everyone forgets that you know through you know the, the three games that he played before he ended up with that core injury you know Nick Bosa, you know, was well on his way to having a, a monster season. Uh, you know, he had uh, four sacks in those three games, six tackles for loss. Uh, you know, so to me, I look at Nick Bosa. I think that makes a lot of sense. You pair him, like I said, with with D Ford, and you really have yourself. Um, you know, that that front four that's going to make a lot of noise there in the NFC West. Now, San Francisco has the 36th overall pick sitting there in the second round, and I'm looking at that safety position. You know, and and there was a good stat there by Pro Football Focus. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, Richard Sherman gave up just just twenty five catches in fourteen games, but the rest of the secondary really you know failed to 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 meet the mark. Um, you know, obviously Akella Witherspoon you know struggled in twenty eighteen, found himself on IR. Um, you know, but he's gonna hopefully bounce back in, in a big way. I'm a big fan of Akella Witherspoon. I think he's got a lot of length there on the outside. Teaming him with Richard Sherman, you know, give him another year. Let's see what happens. Uh, but the safety position, you know, riddled with injuries. You know, Adrian Colbert struggled with a high ankle sprain. Uh, you know, Tard had shoulder surgery. Um, Then they had a bunch of guys trying to fill in, uh, Marcel Harris, DJ Reed, who's more of a nickel, and uh, Antoine Exum, all trying to fill in at safety, Uh, and it really just was kind of just a mishmash and didn't really get the job done. Then there's Jimmy Ward. Jimmy Ward, I think a lot of people weren't expecting him to come back to San Francisco, but he's back for one more year. Could be a nickel, um, could play safety. It's really going to be interesting to see where he plays. I think it's kind of a plug-and-play type of a situation with him because he can play corner. Um, you know, I think he'll end up being the nickel, though. Um, at the end of the day, though, you need to get some playmakers on the back end of that defense. Two interceptions. That's what they managed the entire year a season ago. I mean, that's that's about as bad as the Raiders' 13 sacks. Um, just really a lack of playmakers on on the back end. And uh, I've got a guy who, you know, he he has created some first round buzz, but I think that that FCS. Um, you know, that, that, you know, coming from an FCS school like Delaware, um, is going to kind of handcuff him just a little bit. And that's Nasir Adderley. There's no doubt that this kid is a ball hawk, you know, makes plays all over the, all over the field, 11 interceptions and 22 pass breakups for the blue hens. But you saw in the senior bowl that this is a guy who does, um, you know, fall, you know, uh, susceptible to, um, you know, some, some fakes ends up taking some false steps, you know, and, in the FCS world, he's able to recover because the quarterback's arms aren't anywhere near the level of the FBS quarterbacks. And then you get to the NFL, and that's even you know accelerated that much more. You know, this is a guy who's going to have to learn um, that he can't just rely on his athleticism; that he's going to have to also um, you know be be smarter and be more more intelligent. Um, you know, playing over the top. But this is a kid who has exceptional ball skills. Um, you know, does a great job attacking the ball while it's in the air. Um, high points the football, Um, you know, fluid hips as well, Um, you know, and and, uh, can turn and run with wide receiver a little bit. Um, I, I thought that he looked really smooth in his transitions, uh, especially when you saw him there both at the Combine and at the Senior Bowl. Uh, to me, Nasir Adderley is a guy who I think can end up starting for the Niners right away. Um, you know, It's just going to be a question of where exactly he is going to line up. Uh, it just kind of depends on where he and uh, Jimmy Ward are going to be. So San Francisco, if you're scoring at home, defensive end and a safety. Uh, they're in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. We move on to number three. Number third pick overall is... The Jets, the New York Jets, and I'll tell you what, you know, the the Jets are are moving on from from Todd Bowles uh, and the the 25th ranked defense from a season ago, and uh, they're bringing in Greg Williams, and we saw what Greg Williams did with with the Cleveland Browns a season ago and uh, did a tremendous job as the interim head coach as well, and he's bringing some nastiness. Know, to that Jets defense, and I think that's something that's that's needed. You know, he's bringing a four-three scheme, which means Leonard Williams is move finally moving away from that that five technique, moving him inside where he belongs. So Greg Williams and Leonard Williams. How about Quinn and Williams? You pair the Williamses together and, and and see what happens. You know, Quinn and Williams is just a freak. You know, running a 40 at six-three, three hundred three pounds. You know, this was a guy that not many people. You know we're, we're talking about didn't really have him on the radar. And then he explodes, has a monster year. Um, you know, and, and unlike you know some other Bama players like Deontay Thompson, his game did not sputter out by the end of the end of the season. This was a guy who was every single play you had to know where Quinn and Williams is on the field. And and here's the thing: if you're going to be taking a guy in the top ten, especially on the defensive side of the football, you have to, to know where he is on every single play because this is a guy who's going to wreak havoc and make plays play in and play out. So, Quinn and Williams, you know, this is a guy who plays with power. Can drive his man back into the backfield, can collapse the pocket. Also, a guy who just exceptional quickness uses his quick arm over, um, you know, will will club and rip and 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 gets by and shoots into the backfield. Um, you know, here's here's something that uh, you know I, I was taking a look at. You know, he, he finished eighth in the in the Heisman and uh, you know, won the Outland Trophy. Um, something that both Aaron Donald and uh and, and Sue did as well. So when you look at this, let's see. Um, you know, so Williams, you know, 71 tackles, 19 and a half tackles for loss, um, you know, and just dominated any line any tackle that lined up in front of him. So, when you talk about this, you look at, you know, Indominic and Sue in, in, in 2009, 85 tackles, 20.5 tackles for loss, 12 sacks. Um, you know, ultimately, a fourth place vote, uh, finish in the Heisman led to being selected number two overall by the Lions. Four years later in 2013, Aaron Donald, 59 tackles, 28.5 tackles for loss, and 11 sacks, leading him to the, the number 13 overall pick. So, what's incredible about Quinnen is he's only been a one year starter. When you think about it, in their junior seasons, Sue finished with seventy-six tackles, sixteen tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks, and Aaron Donald with sixty four tackles, eighteen and a half tackles for loss, and five and a half sacks. So imagine the stat line that Quinn and Williams could have put together had he returned for his redshirt junior season. It would have been ridiculous what this kid could have pulled off. And uh, you know, I think the Jets are going to to be able to bring him in right away and uh expect to see um you know, him really wreaks some havoc coming off the coming really, you know, up up the middle. But, you know, Greg Williams, if he throws some of those hybrid three, four schemes, you know, he can also play the five technique a little bit, line up over the nose. Very versatile up front. Now that the Jets don't have a second round pick. Uh, they traded that to the Colts, uh, who we'll be talking about here in a little bit. So the number 34 overall uh goes to the to the Colts, so the Jets have to make sure that they get things right there at number three. A lot of people are talking about them taking Josh Allen. They need another edge rusher as well, especially considering the depth at the defensive tackle position. But I'm of the opinion you take the best player available, and the best player available to me is absolutely Quinnen Williams. Which takes us to the Oakland Raiders. Now look, Oakland Raiders sitting there at number four, a lot of talk about the quarterback position. You're looking at at uh, <clears throat> at Derek Carr and, and whether or not Derek Carr is going to be the, the guy of the future. A lot of people have talked about how he's not going to be able to lead the Raiders, uh, you know to back to the playoffs that he's not a grooting guy that uh, he's going to be someone who's going to be released at the end of the season. Um, you know a lot of talk there about uh, about Derek Carr. Um, <clears throat> and you look at the Raiders, you know, there's you know uh, supposedly some interest. You know, John Gruden has with with Kyler Murray. Uh, you know, I've talked about it previously. Um, you know, the Oakland A's had a you know have their their AAA um, AAA team in, in Vegas. So I think a lot of talk there around, hey, Kyler Murray, you could play your your A ball there in Vegas, and then also uh, play for for their Oakland Raiders if he decided that he wanted to play both sports. Actually, be able to to possibly make that happen, but look, you know, it, it's one of those things. To me, I, I don't see, you know, Ky- if Kyler Murray is off the board, then the next question is: Is do they go after Dwayne Haskins? Here's the thing: Had they not traded for A- Antonio Brown, I would have said absolutely yes. Undoubtedly, there's there's no issue there, but look, you you, you pick up Antonio Brown, you pick up the best player in the game, who you know has had issues with Big Ben in the past. Now Big Ben is a Hall of Fame quarterback. You're going to bring in Antonio Brown to the Raiders with a rookie quarterback. You know, maybe not in year 1, maybe in year 2 after, you know, you get rid of Derek Carr at the end of 2019. But think about that. What type of fall, you know, fallout are you going to have there with Antonio Brown, a guy who wants to win right away? You know, and really wants to wants the ball right away. You're going to have to deal with some of those growing pains of a rookie. And I look at this 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 uh, quarterback class, and Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, I don't see them making the type of impact that Baker Mayfield made with the Browns. I just don't. So to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to go quarterback here uh, with number four overall pick. What they do need is pass rush out. I mentioned the 13 sacks. Um that's just, you know, not going to cut it. You know, when you lose Khalil Mack, you need a guy that's coming off the edge. And look, Josh Allen is my guy here for the Raiders. You know, 21 and a half tackles for loss, 17 sacks. Um, you know, that that was a to- those were totals that bested his first 3 seasons combined. So this is a guy who was really putting everything together um there for Kentucky in a magical season for the Wildcats, a team that, you know, got to the to a, a bowl game was ranked and uh, really had a phenomenal season. He was a big reason why, you know, an excellent edge rusher off, you know, off the edge. Um, you know, dips that inside shoulder, you know, keeping, uh, you know, very little surface area for the, the offensive tackle to redirect him off of his path. Um, you know, he, he's someone who uses that stutter off the line, often allows a, a two-way go to either attack the outside shoulder of the tackle or can fake outside before crossing the face of the tackle and getting back inside. Um, you know, but here's the thing. Allen is so, you know, he, he makes plays behind the line of scrimmage, but I thought he also, you know, the, the game against Texas A&M, you know, he was playing, under had underneath coverage on, on Jay Sternberger on, I believe it was a corner route, had safety help over the top and, uh, you know, really showed off his athleticism, able to, to get back there, leap, and, and knock knock the pass away. Um, this is a kid who, you know, he ran, ran a 4'6", 340, bench pressed 225, 28 times, Um, shows that, you know, off that speed and the strength that you saw on tape. um, This is someone who I think can um, be a superstar at the next level if, you know, he continues on the same path. I think, you know, we're just seeing him scratch the surface on the type of player that he can be. You get him there in Oakland uh, with John Gruden, and, uh, you know, I think he's someone who could definitely bolster that pass rush just a little bit. So the Raiders, obviously, they've got three first-round picks. Uh, the next one, if we fast-forward just a little bit, we go to the number 24 overall selection. And if we get to number 24, I, I honestly believe that this is going to be a cornerback. Um, you know, Byron Murphy, you know, at one point I had a receiver here, um, but, you know, by selecting Tyrell Williams uh, from from uh the Chargers bringing him in in free agency as well. I think that really allows them to focus on the defense. Byron Murphy, uh, the, the the corner. You know, this is someone. Look, you know, Garyon Conley. You know, has one starting spot locked down. Nevin Lawson was brought in to be the nickel, but that other cornerback is is a must need. Um, you know, Nick Nelson and, and Garyon and Conley are the only cornerbacks that are uh, under contract beyond this season. Um, you know, Byron Murphy, very. Uh, you know, a, explosive player. Um, he, he's five eleven. You know, he's not the tallest prospect, and he also ran a four five five, so he's not the most explosive corner. But uh, you know, the instincts just jump off the film, and you know, he's one of the better ball hawks in this year's draft. Uh, to me, I, I look at him and and. He, he's actually my top corner. I think I have you know greedy going off the board before him, but uh, I think Murphy's instincts is going to make him a playmaker, and uh, you know I'm liking him a little bit to to Denzel Ward. You know, and you saw the type of ability that Denzel Ward had for the Browns his rookie year before he got hurt. I think Byron Murphy has that same type of impact there for the Raiders. Number twenty-seven overall. I take a look at this one and Josh Jacobs. You know, Josh Jacobs there. Um, you know, when you talk about the Raiders, yes, he lost Jared Cook. They could potentially take a tight end, but only if Noah Fant falls. If Noah Fant is there on the board at 27 overall, I think that's where the Raiders go. If it's Irv Smith, you know, who's next in line, you know, I'd say you probably hold off there at number 27 and, uh, you know, look at taking a, t- a tight end somewhere in, in the day two range. But when you talk about the ground game, pretty, pretty abysmal. Uh, you know, 28th in the league. Averaging just 100 101.8 yards per game, and uh, the team's top two rushers, Doug Martin and Marshawn Lynch, are both free agents. That leaves Jalen Rashard and, and DeAndre Washington as the only returning backs. Jacobs, absolutely the most complete back in this draft, doesn't have a ho- whole lot of wear on his legs. Carry the ball just 250 times in three seasons. Um, you know, and, and nearly half of those, you know, the 120 of them, were a season ago. You know, but you see this guy, you know, the the vision, um, his his ability to, you know, the ankle flexion to change directions at that 45 degree angle, um, you know, really sets up his his defenses and makes it difficult for defenders to really square him up, runs with power, has excellent hands as well. Um, you know, to me, if there's any running back, that's going to go off in round one, it's going to be Josh Jacobs. And I think the Raiders, you know, I think that would be a nice fit for him there at the end of round one. Again, 24th pick, 27th pick, could be packaged together for the Raiders to move up to take a quarterback. Um, I, I don't know that the Raiders necessarily use all of these picks, but uh, you know, to me, you know, there are enough holes across this this team. Um, it would behoove them to go ahead and just use all of those. Look, the Browns did that uh, just a couple of years ago, um, landing three first round picks with with Miles Garrett, uh, Jabril Peppers, and and David Njoku, and uh, you know, you see some of the fruits of their labor. Although, you know, Jabril Peppers was traded in the uh, Odell Beckham Jr. trade. So, Oakland, number thirty five overall, I've got them taking Will Greer. So I talked about quarterbacks. I talked about everything. But look, you're taking a quarterback in round one. You're essentially saying that this is going to be your guy, especially if you're taking him in, in the the top ten picks. You're saying this is going to be my quarterback. That basically Derek Carr is done. You take a quarterback in round two, and this is a guy who you know is going to be the you know a backup for for Derek Carr, and uh, has the potential to be. Um, you know, to be a starter, should Derek Carr falter? Now, uh, here's the thing: you know, there are three quarterbacks that that are really in that wheelhouse, are the second, third round range, uh, and that's Daniel Jones of Duke, Ryan Finley of NC State, and then Will Greer. Now look, Jones, he's athletic, he's a David Cutcliffe disciple, um, but I think he has average arm strength and struggles with with consistency. Ryan Finley, a polished pocket passer, limited arm strength, and then there's Will Greer, has better arm strength than either one, bit of a gunslinger, you know, I thought that he definitely struggled at times during the Senior Bowl and the Combine, but, uh, you know, he really looked good on his pro day. I saw the film there. There are a lot of people that were saying that he, put on a show. I thought, you know, from the film that I saw, he, he showed good arm strength, excellent ball placement, um, you know, smooth feet to manipulate the pocket whenever possible as well. Um, you know, I think it really puts him in the conversation as the you know the fourth quarterback taken off the board. You know, in two seasons with West Virginia, he threw for over seventy three hundred yards, seventy one touchdowns, just twenty nine interceptions on sixty five point seven percent passing. Um, you know, there's no doubt he throws a, a pretty deep ball. Um, you know, just puts it right on the outside shoulder, allowing his receiver to go uh, to go up and make a play on it. Um, you know, when, when I look at this, you know, he, um, I think probably the the, the best. Um, You know, play, or I guess the best game, you know, really situation was against Texas. They're down 41 34, just over two minutes and 30 seconds to play. And I break this down in in my second round uh, mock, which I'll be releasing here in a couple of days. But, you know, Greer led the Mountaineers, seven play, 75 yard drive, culminated in a 33 yard pass to Gary Jennings with just 16 seconds left to play. In that play, you no, know, he he took the snap, rolled to his right, saw Jennings getting over the top of two long longhorn defenders up the seam, cut loose with that ball, and uh, you know was on the move. Didn't set his feet, dropped a diamond over Jennings' shoulder just before he ran out of bounds. Uh, you know they're they're down 41-40. He heads to the sideline and. He looks at Dana Holgerson and they say, you know what, let's go for two to the win. And what does Will Greer do? He has enough athleticism in his legs to be able to beat the Texas defenders to the edge there around the around the left side. Ultimately scores They win 42-41 to stun the Texas crowd. Um, you know, that's the good with with Will Greer. You know, he also threw 19 interceptions in his first 17 games at West Virginia. Um, you know, so that obviously is is a big issue. Um but uh you know here's here, you know at the same time, you know I, I can counter that with a lot of other things that that he he did well um you know and you talk about I think a lot of people talk about him struggling at the senior bowl, struggling at the combine, but look, when he was actually out there the last five games of the of the season, he threw fifteen touchdowns with just one interception. And you know, what's also interesting uh, the NFL actually released some ball speed numbers from the combine, and Greer scored. Uh, a 59, which was the strongest, you know, along with Brett with Rippon of, of Boise State. But he, you know, he outthrew uh, Ryan Finley, uh, you know, Daniel Jones, Drew Locke. Uh, so, you know, I think Rear's kind of the sleeper that nobody's really talking about. And I think the Raiders uh, taking him there uh, at the top of round two, I think that would be a nice, uh, nice fit and someone who could potentially be a starter down the road again if Derek Carr falters just a little bit. So we finally got into number five overall, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this is a team that I've kind of gone back and forth with who I'm going to have them take, uh, you know, really kind of all over the place. You know, at one point I was saying, look, you know, Todd Bowles going there. He's got a, um, you know, a 3-4 scheme. You know, is Gerald McCoy really going to fit? Is he going to be cut? He's got that $13 million contract. Then the Bucks pumped the brakes and said, look, we're keeping Gerald McCoy, he's going to be a great fit in Tom Bowles' scheme. So you figure he's going to be playing, um, you know, playing one of those end spots. Who's going to be that other end? Is it going to be Carl Nassib? Um, is it going to be Jason Pierre-Paul? Is Jason Pierre-Paul going to be playing outside? Then you look at the linebackers and the linebackers that they've been adding to this this unit. So you've got you know Shaquille Barrett who's going to be playing outside. You've got um, you know Deion Buchanan who's kind of that hybrid linebacker safety. Um, you know he could potentially be a Mark Barron type playing inside. Okay, you got, you got Kendall Beckwith. Um, you know, if, you get, if he returns from injury, he's an inside backer. Then there's Levante David. Levante David is, is a perfect will linebacker in, in a 4-3 scheme. But what about a 34 defense? To me, I think he would be most effective in a 34 inside. So that's really why I, I went away from, from Devin White, um, you know, of LSU with that pick. You know, I had him penciled in early on, uh, especially because, you know, Quan Alexander left in free agency. Uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense. You take in, you know, you lose one LSU guy, you bring in another LSU guy, right? But uh, to me, I, I look at Devin White and uh, I just don't think that's in the cards for the Bucks. So where do they go? You know, where where do the Bucks end up going? Um you know, I think that those free agency acquisitions at linebacker give them enough flexibility um, to ultimately look at at that defensive line again. So obviously you got Vita Vea there in the middle, and if you've got Gerald McCoy at one end, uh, I think Jason Bierball would be a great outside linebacker in this scheme. So who's going to be the other end? So at one point I had Rashawn Gary penciled in, but again I talk about the production versus potential, and I just don't see him being a top ten pick. And then Ed Oliver has his, his, uh, his pro day. We finally get to see what he can do. And uh, Ed Oliver runs a four seven three forty with a 1.63 10-yard split, posted a 7.15 second three-cone drill and a 4.22 short shuttle. So to put that in, in you, know, all, you know, weighing in at 281 pounds, by the way. So, you know, to put it in perspective, we look at Aaron Donald's numbers from the 2014 combine. Now Aaron Donald again, we talk about, you know, don't compare him to Ed Oliver and you know that, that's kind of unfair, but you know, you look at these numbers. 46840. You know, compared to Oliver's 473. 159 10 yard split, Oliver 163. Donald seven one one, three 3 cone drill. Oliver with the 715. Donald with a 439 short shuttle. Ed Oliver, 4-2-2 short shuttle. So when you look at that, you look at those numbers, you look at the athleticism, it, it's, it's telling you something. It's telling you that Ed Oliver has the athletic ability to be another player just like Aaron Donald he has that capability at 280 pounds he's not he doesn't weigh as much as Aaron Donald but look he's undersized and I think you put him in Todd Bowles' offense you know this is a guy with with feet that look like like a linebacker a defensive back if you put on any of those YouTube films uh, of the footwork uh, workouts and uh, you know you'll your jaw just kind of drops you know that this is actually a, a defensive tackle that's moving around like this um to me, he's, he's a tremendous athlete. It'll give them some flexibility. Um, you know, Ed Oliver, to me, you know, in, in his first two seasons started all 26 games, um, just staggering numbers and, uh, you know, 22 tackles for loss, five sacks as a freshman, 16 and a half tackles for loss and five and a half sacks as a, as a sophomore. And then as a junior, you know, he, he had the knee injury. People questioned why he wasn't coming back to me. I, I look at Ed Oliver and, you know, the, the, what he did in those first two seasons. He doesn't have to explain anything to me with regard to why he didn't come back needed to be a hundred percent healthy. Yes. He's thinking about the league, but at the same time, he was very engaged on the sideline with his, with his teammates. And, uh, to me, I I look at him, he's a competitor. He's a guy that's that you want to have out there on the field. And, uh, you know, I, I think he would be a great fit there for, for Todd Bowles. I think he can play him all over the field. Um, you know, hi, uh, He wants to kind of mix in some of his 4-3 along with the 3-4, kind of go with some of that hybrid movement, and you know, I think you can line Ed Oliver pretty much anywhere on the field that you want. Um, so Tampa gets Ed Oliver in round one. What do they do in round two? I'm looking at a safety. I'm looking at Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Uh, keep him in state. Um, you know, the Florida Gator product, 5'11, 210 pounds. Um, you know, I, I look at, at Tampa, they managed just nine interceptions. Um, you know, there were only five teams that were were less than that. Um, four of those were 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 picked off by Andrew Adams, who's now in Detroit. Uh, and no other player picked off more than one pass. Um, you know, you, you look at uh you know, you've got Justin Evans there at, at at free safety, but adding another safety is is something that I think they they need to do. And, and I talked about it, Oliver's versatility. Chauncey Gardner Johnson also has a versatility to play all over the field. He can play both safety positions. He can line up in the box as kind of a hybrid linebacker. Um, you know, he can line up in the slot and and cover a little bit as well. You, know, you see the you know the he kind of filled up the stat you know the, the the stat sheet there for the the Florida Gators 161 tackles including 15 and a half for loss four sacks nine interceptions three of which were returned for touchdown by the way and 12 pass breakups this is a guy who I think has the instincts and, and the physicality to to start right away also very intelligent he was the guy that was making all the calls there in the secondary moving guys you know there were you know quite a few. Uh, games that were on TV where you actually, you know, they showed, uh, you know, Gardner Johnson just moving guys into their their spot before the snap, and uh, you know, I think to me he he bring um you know kind of a veteran presence there to Tampa's uh, secondary, even though he'd be a rookie. I think he's he's very intelligent, very uh, you know a high football IQ and a guy that um you know i think would be a nice selection there considering he is getting some first round buzz um you know to me i think he's the top safety in the draft at this point so moving on number six new york giants what do the new york football giants do well you know uh, dave gettleman said hey you know eli manning is going to be our guy uh for 2019 you know Eli's coming off of a season where he had that posted the highest completion percentage of his career at 66%, you know, 40, you know, almost 4,300 passing yards, which were the most since 2015, 11 interceptions were the lowest total since 2008. Um, you know, Manning, you know, he's 38. He's going to be free agent at the end of the season. Um, you know, it, it he received that you know five million dollar roster bonus, and so we know that Eli is going to be there. They talked about tailoring a more power running game um, to showcase their their offensive rookie of the year, Saquon Barkley. Um, it takes a little bit of pressure off of uh, off of Manning, but uh, you know, Gettleman says that there's a process. You know, that's why you know don't worry about trading Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, we can rebuild and still be uh, you know there's a process to everything. This pick could be you know they need a right tackle. Um, you know, Nate Solder didn't play very well on, on the left side. You saw them trade and, and get Kevin Zeitler to play right guard. Will Will Hernandez is going to be a mainstay there at left guard. I'm not worried about that. Right tackle though, you know, Chad Wheeler filled in admirably for, for Eric Flowers, um, who was ultimately let go. Um, you know, started 14 games for the Giants. He's best as a swing guard. I mean sorry, as a swing tackle. So do you go Juwan Taylor here if you don't go quarterback? You know, it's always a possibility. This is a guy who can block. You know, is very physical in the run game. That'd be an added bonus there when you've got, um, you know, Saquon Barkley. So, I, you if you read between the lines a little bit, it sounds kind of like you know what? There's a process to all of this. Josh Rosen. You know, I, I just just saying this. There are about three or four teams that I'm going to be saying this about, but you know, I, I think the Giants could end up being the team that ends up taking Josh Rosen off the Arizona Cardinals' hands. And, uh, you know, that way they are able to take that, that tackle there at number six and, uh, you know, still get, get the quarterback of the future. Um, you know, I, I think if the Giants leave the 2019 draft without a quarterback to succeed Eli Manning for yet another year, um, you know, I, I think there are really going to be some red flags raised there with, with uh, Dave Gettleman's process. So, you know, there's talk. Well, maybe you know they they need defensive line help. Maybe they're going to take a defensive end here. Maybe it's Rashawn Gary. Um, you know, to me, I, I let, let's pump the brakes there. It could be DK Metcalf. They do need another receiver. You know, you've got Golden and Tate. You've got Sterling Shepard. They're virtually the same receiver. They need a number one. DK Metcalf could be that guy. Of course, they could also use number seventeen overall to to get that playmaker. Possibly one in the in the second round because the uh, receiver depth is. Uh, you know that there's a lot of depth, uh, in this this wide receiver class. At the end of the day, I think the guy here is going to be Dwayne Haskins. You know the the, the Giants just they, they need need that quarterback of the future, and you know you look at Dwayne Haskins, you can bring him in now. You know, you've got that 17 overall pick again. You can use use that on your your tackle. You can get your quarterback of the future. You can nail him in now, and, and Haskins—he's a redshirt sophomore, only one year of, of really start, you know, of real starter experience uh, under his belt. Get him in, learn from Eli Manning. Once Eli decides to hang it up, you turn the get, you know, turn the season, the team over to Haskins. I think this is the best fit for Dwayne Haskins. Now, look, Haskins, he was the guy, if you listen to any of my podcasts I talked about from the beginning, let's pump the brakes on the Dwayne Haskins train, all this hype about a kid, and really what he was doing was he was throwing a lot of crossing routes, You know, throwing tons of, of, of throws underneath and really letting his speedsters, Johnny Dixon, uh, Terry McLaurin, Paris Campbell, take the ball and run with it. But as the, the season went along, there was a three-game stretch where the running game really just kind of disappeared. And you know when when that running game disappeared, that's really where where they had had some some issues. So during that during those three games, they averaged just 107.3 yards per game. Uh, that was against Indiana, Minnesota and Purdue and uh you know their back-to-back games under 100 yards in those final two games during that stretch. That was against Minnesota and Purdue. Uh, I know Ohio State lost to Purdue in that game, but it really wasn't due to, to what Haskins was doing. It was really that defense that, that, that let the team down. But Haskins went, in those three games, uh, 115 for 161, which is 71.4% passing, uh, 1,337 yards with 11 touchdowns and just three interceptions. This was a guy who was airing the ball out down the field, hitting his receivers in stride. He put that team on his back. Had it not been for Dwayne Haskins, Ohio State would not... Uh, you know, have been in the position where they were at the end of the season. Uh, so to me, Dwayne Haskins makes the most sense here for the Giants at number six. You know, so then you fast forward to number 17 and, you know, the way it shakes out, they could get their tackle. Uh, I'm looking at Jawan Taylor and he's not, to me, he's not the, the number one tackle in this draft, it's, Joe, uh, it's it's Jonah Williams. Let's stop with all the talk about Jonah Williams not having the arm length. Joe Thomas didn't have the arm length. Joe Thomas is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. They both understood angles, and that's why Jonah Williams is going to be a top ten pick. And I don't think uh, you know Juwan Taylor is going to be a first round pick or is going to be a top town pick. You know, I, I think he's a perfect fit at a at a right tackle. And I think, you know, when you look at that for, for Juwan Taylor, I think 17, that's probably about where he should come off the board. He may go number 13 to Miami. They lost Juwan James, uh, their, their right tackle, uh, could go to Atlanta. You know, Atlanta's got Ryan, uh, Schrader let him go. And, uh, you know, they brought in, um, or re-signed Tyson Brillo. Who they say will get the first crack at, at the starting spot. So those are two teams that could potentially take Juwan Taylor. But I'm looking at the Giants. If they're talking about this power running game, this is a guy who is just a, a punisher. They're uh, at the right right tackle position, a guy who generates a ton of movement, very strong lower body, um, and you know the, the punch, you know just violent hands. You saw that at the combine, the way that he snapped and just really uh, snapped the hips and really drove into his blocks. Um, I think he'd be a great fit for the Giants there at number 17. So then, as I said, there was a lot of depth in this wide receiver class. So what are the Giants going to end up doing at number 37? Well, what if Nikhil Harry falls to them? You know, when you think about that, you know you, you've got again Golden Tate, you've got uh, Sterling Shepard, Nikhil Harry sitting there, and Nikhil Harry back-to-back thousand-yard seasons for Arizona. Um, you anyway, know, and 20 touchdowns during those time or during that time. This is a guy who's known for his ability to use his size to his advantage, um, boxes out receivers, able to high point the football, very physical after the catch. You know, tough to bring down, and uh, you know, who could forget the the catch against USC? It was Obe- Odell Beckham Jr. like, uh, just the way that he was able to, as as he was. Uh... Let's kind of back up here just for a sec, so. He gets a a clean release uh, up the sideline, and I think he was going against Iman Marshall in this. um, Adjusted well to an underthrown back shoulder fade pass. Um, So he ultimately extended behind his head, laying out horizontally. um, You know, really looked a lot like OBJ. And, uh, you know, so that, you know, when you look at that, a guy who's 6'2", 228 pounds, to have the type of body control to do what he did there to haul in that pass... Um, to me, I, I think Nikhil Harry. Look, he ran a four-five-three forty. I think that's good enough for a guy his size. You know, he put up 27 reps in the bench press uh, as well. So he's he's very physical and, and strong. Um, you know, he's going to be a guy who's going to be a downfield blocker for Saquon Barkley. I think that'd be a great fit for the Giants there at number set, uh, 37 overall. So, cover the Giants two picks, which takes us to number seven and the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I've already mentioned Juwan James off the board at number seventeen. Why didn't I have him go in there to the Jags? You know that, that you know it's it's one of those things to where you look at you know Cam uh, Cam Robinson coming back off of off of an ACL tear um, They're at the left tackle position. Um, you know it, you're going to need him back there. Um, you know Jacksonville they gave up 53 sacks. You know it's tied for third most in the league. Uh four different offensive tackles on the left side, and three on the right. Jeremy Parnell is gone. Uh he was released. That leaves uh fourth round uh pick Will uh Richardson um and Cedric Obwehi who was who was just signed uh not that long ago to vie for that starting right tackle job. I look at it, you we know, Will Will Richardson could potentially slide inside to guard as well, but I think some of the the free agent acquisition of Cedric Oboehe, you know, I think it's kind of a low risk, high reward situation there. Um, I think you can also get a, a right tackle in round two. You know, if Dalton Reisner, or Caleb McGarry are sitting there, uh, you might be able to pick them up. Um, so to me, I, I just I don't see that happening. You know, there's also talk that they may look for a pass rusher to pair with Yannick Ngakwe. I don't know at number seven, you know, maybe you take Montez sweat, um, you know, has been right, uh, you know, just really, you know, soaring up draft boards, but if there's going to be a year where there's a tight end taken in round one. I think this is going to be the year, you know, we haven't seen it happen very often. Um, you know, Eric Ebron was the last, you know, just a, a few years ago there with, with Detroit. And I look at the Jags. It's really setting up for this, you know, the, you know, Jeff Swain. Ben Koyak on the roster, you know, but there's no real number one option for for Nick Foles uh, at the tight end position. T.J. Hawkinson uh, emerged as as uh, you know the the highest rated tight end in quite some time because he excels in all assets or all facets of the position. You know, this is a guy who. You know, Pro Football Focus noted that he posted a 139.1 passer rating when he was targeted, which was the highest among tight ends. And, uh, you know, they also noted that 37 of his 49 receptions went for a first down. You know, this is a John Mackey Award winner as the top tight end in the draft. Um, you know, I think he de- does need to work on some um, refinement with his route running, but he catches everything that's thrown his way, has a huge catch radius, Um you know, is a, a a great vertical target. Works the seams very well. Tremendous body control. Able to ju- adjust to the ball when it's in the air, and then just a punishing blocker. You know, I think that's one of the things that is very impressive about his game is is the punishing um, you know physicality uh, with which he plays, just firing out of his stance. And you know, I, I noted in in my uh, my mock draft. All of the the different highlight reel blocks that he had against Nebraska fires off the ball, met Dedrick Young five yards down the field, hands perfectly placed just below the, the pad level, uh, used that leg drive to clear clear him out, and then you know drove him down a good ten yards down the field before finally putting him on his back. Um, you know also showed a powerful leg drive against uh, uh, poor Michael Zimba of of uh, Indiana. Absolutely just mauled him, drove him back five yards, dropped him to his knees before finishing that block. Then there was a four-yard touchdown by uh, Mackay Sargent against Illinois, and Hawkinson drove the linebacker a good, I don't know, three, four yards into the end zone to the outside before just absolutely burying him. Uh, you know, so to me, I look at him. You know, since since 2000, you know, only Kellen Winslow Jr. taking number six overall in 2014, uh, Vernon Davis number six overall in 2016, and then Eric Ebron, as I mentioned, number ten overall in 2014. Only top ten picks. I think T.J. Hawkinson is going to end up being the fourth. I think Jacksonville ends up taking him here. Um, you know, that makes the most sense to me because I think you can get that offensive tackle in round two. Let me check my mock draft. Absolutely, Dalton Reisner. You know, I mentioned him. 6'5", 312 pounds out of Kansas State. Um, this is a guy very versatile. Um, you know, that, that's one of the things that that I would say. You know, he he could potentially play right tackle and allow you know Will Richardson to move inside, um, or uh, he could end up playing. Um, playing inside at guard as well, um, playing both positions there at at uh, Kansas State. A.J. Cann was re-signed, but he was definitely the weakest link of the offensive line. And you know if they can move one of these two, whether it's Richardson or Reisner, uh, inside, um, that basically effectively allows him to move on from from A.J. Cann at that point. Uh, now, Reisner's not the best athlete in the world. You know he ran a five three forty at the combine, but you know just very technically sound. Uh, the balance, the body control, plays angles very well. Excellent hands as well. Uh, it's not always pretty, but he definitely gets the job done. And uh, you know, he he's he's a he's a football player. And Tom Coughlin likes his football players. I think this would be a guy um, you know that would benefit the Jags to take him there at number 38 overall. So if you're scoring at home, Jags tight end, offensive tackle upgrading that offense just a little bit there. I think they they start looking at the defensive side of the ball starting in round 3. Number 8, the Detroit Lions. So obviously they underperformed in the first year with uh with Matt Patricia. You know, they actually had a top 10 defense. You know, it was actually the pass uh the passing offense um you know, it had ranked in the top 10 five times and no lower than 12th between, you know, 2010 and 2017, fall to 20th in 2018. Uh, you know the running game you know uh, really struggled to get going yet again. Um, but you know Kenny Galladay emerged as a legitimate number one wide receiver. Uh, carry on Johnson at running back. Um, you know Daryl Bevel has some uh, you know, has some weapons, you know but a tight end is something that could be used. If TJ Hawkinson is available, that is something that I think the Lions are going to look at. But if I'm a Detroit Lions fan, you know we've already used a tight end. You know, used a top-ten pick on a tight end before with Eric Ebron, who's no longer with the Lions and actually had a career year with the Indianapolis Colts. I don't see it happening again, especially considering, you know, Ziggy Ansah, Kerry Heider, uh, you know, leaving him free agency. Um, you know, and, you know, you brought in Trey Flowers, and I think you teamed Trey Flowers with, you know, Deshaun Hand. Deshaun Hand's more of a, uh, a run defender, not really much of a pass block, a pass, pass rusher off the edge. Um, so I think this is a perfect place for Montez Sweat. 6'6", 260 pounds. Um, you know, they just blew everyone away at the Combine, running a four four two forty, which was the record for any edge rusher. Just staggering, you know, uh, number. And then it came out after that that there was a pre-existing heart condition that he was diagnosed uh, with by the doctors there at the Combine. But, you know, it was considered low risk because... He was still able to compete there, unlike you know Starlo Tulilay and, and Maurice Hurst, who were actually forced to miss the combine as a result of the hard condition. This was low enough risk that they allowed him to actually participate. Um, and you know, like Starlo Tulilay, who ended up going uh, you know in the first in the top half of the first round, um, you know that didn't really affect his draft stock, and I don't expect it to affect Montez Sweat's draft stock at all. Um, you know, a kid who finished with 10 and a half sacks 14 and a half tackles for loss a season ago teaming up with with Jeffrey Simmons um, so I think he works well with another guy um, you know really showed that he can he can um, you know utilize the strengths of, of someone else you know um, and, and so I, I think that he and, and Trey flowers could really team up and and, and uh, uh, wreak some havoc there in the NFC north he has got three uh three you know, thirty-five and three-quarters inch arms. So I mean, you talk about that—that that length uses that to his advantage. Creates separation from the offensive tackle, and then can really explode off the ball. Um, you know, uses the, those uh, f- the flexibility in his hips to to turn the corner in a hurry. Um, you know, he's a guy who's who's uh, has a, has that quick get off, can get off the line, very like I said, very fluid in his hips, and then also can convert that speed to power to really just blow a guy back off the ball. Um, you know pro football focus you know what they they really help kind of prove the point here a little bit they talk about his um you know his run uh, his play against the run you know a guy who can definitely set the edge 86.8 against the run which is good for for third best among edge rushers so you definitely using that length to to set that strong edge stacks and chest blockers well has a lot of tri- uh, quickness as well to to run down ball carriers um you know, to me i think Montez sweat um, could very well end up being a top five pick. I think at the end of the day, this is the best value. Um, I think Detroit Lions had him, Montez Sweat, going there before. Have him back there again. He's going to end up being that pick. So Detroit, if they go defensive end in round one, then I think you have to go corner in round two, right? You know, I, I think that really has to be the pick. I think I've been talking about Denver. I'm sorry, Detroit taking a corner at some point, and I've got him taking Rocky Asin out of Temple. Uh, Rock Yassin, you know his name has been mentioned quite a bit in, in the first round. Um, six foot, 192 pounds. Um, look, top 10 pass defense. But again, you know, we talked about playmakers. We lacked a playmaker opposite Darius Slay. Uh, Detroit managed just seven interceptions, and, and Slay and Quandre Diggs each had uh, three interceptions apiece. Nevin Lawson moved on, uh, which really leaves Tease Tabor as the uh, replacement right now You know, with Justin Coleman as a nickel. Tabor has yet to live up to the expectations after he was taken 53 overall uh, in 2017. I look at, at Rocky Yasin, only played one year of football there at Temple after you know transferring uh, from Presbyterian. Uh, 47 tackles, 2 interceptions, 12 pass breakups. You know, this is a guy who's very physical, uses his length. Um, you know, in, in press coverage, um, likes to get his hands on his receiver, uh, knocks him off the route very well, crowds that receiver to eliminate any separation. Um, I thought he's decent in his back pedal, um, you know, fluid in his turn uh, to turn and run with the receiver as well. Um, you, know, and, you know, makes a good play on the football. Ball skills are evident, you know, really attacks the catch point uh, to disrupt the receiver's concentration. Um, you know, I, I think Yasin, you know, I think the first round is a little a, a little rich, uh, because he only has one year of FBS experience, um, you know I think they're you know he, he can have have a ton of throws in front of him. Um, but I think his lockdown ability, I think if he does fall, um, you know I think 43 would be excellent value uh, there for for Detroit in the second round. So we're getting to the end of the top top 10 and I think that's really where we'll call it quits here for the, uh, you know, my breakdown thus far, but in a couple of days, I'll get my next mock draft, or I'm sorry, my next podcast out so we can talk about uh, the rest of my mock draft. We'll talk about 11 through 20, and uh, we can see if we can push that a little bit beyond that. We'll, you know, make sure, you know, time permitted. Uh, so the Buffalo Bills sitting there at number nine. This was another pick that I really bounced around quite a bit. You know, you've got, you know, Kyle Williams leaving, you know, he, he retired. Um, so you need a defensive tackle. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that has to be a, an area of focus at some point in the draft. Um, you know, Star Lottula L- locked in as one starter. Uh, you've got Harrison Phillips and Jordan Phillips. You know, uh, you know, they're solid role players, but they need a dynamic uh, playmaker like Ed Oliver, uh, possibly trade down and get Christian Wilkins. Um, you know, but I, I just don't see uh, that defensive tackle position coming off the board here. So then you talk about, well, possibly a number one whiteout. That makes a lot of sense. You, know, you you look at Zay Jones, Robert Robert Foster, the top returning wideouts for Josh Allen. You know, Josh Allen really needs a you know a number one wideout though to get the ball to. Um, you know, you saw them really try to shore up that receiving core a little bit. Brought in John Brown and and Cole Beasley, so you've got a vertical threat and you've got you know a guy who works well out of the slot. Still don't have that number one wideout, but again with this wide receiver depth, I don't know that you end up taking DK Metcalf here given the fact that you still have issues on that offensive line. This was a, an old line that was graded one of the worst um, in in the league. You know, you've got Deion Dawkins at left tackle. His play dropped off to bat dramatically after a solid 2017 season. Um, you know, I, I think you, you look at Dawkins, he could play left tackle again. He could end up moving over, kicking over to the right side. Um, they signed Mitch Morse away from the Chiefs, you know, to get him there at, uh, at the center position. And they brought in two tackles to compete for the right tackle spot. You know, um, Ty Nischke, and, and uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right, and uh, Le'Adrien Waddle. Now, I look at Le'Adrien Waddle, and, and he's probably a guy who, who is best providing depth and then with, with Ty, you know, he's, he's I believe, 33 or 34 years old, a journeyman guy, played in Canada, and uh, filled him well there with Washington. I think he's more of a swing tackle type of guy. I don't think that he's going to end up being the starter. Although, you know, that he does provide some depth up front. But I look at Jonah Williams. Again, you know, you're talking about, you know, the best offensive of tackle at the position. Understands angles unlike anybody else. Um, in this draft, you know, and you talk about uh, Joe Thomas, and that was really what Joe Thomas was great at. You know, he has thirty-three and 5 inch arms, which are actually longer than Joe Thomas's. Joe Thomas had 32 thirty-two and a half inch arms. You talk about left tackles, or you know, just tackles in general, and you want to have thirty-four inch arms, and that's really kind of where they're where they kind of stay around. But you know, Joe Thomas, Kelvin Beachum has has proven to to do a great job um, with with the shorter arms as well. Um, you know, you can kind of go on and on. You know, Isaiah Wynn was was brought in as, as the Patriots left tackle of the future, even though he's got the shorter arms. Um, but Jonah Williams, just a technician. You know, this is a guy who seems to be rarely out of position. Um, you know, fires well out of his stance. You know, uh, natural knee bender, deep kick slide. Uh, effortless lateral movement, able to wall off uh, defenders with their counter moves. Just very light on his feet. You know, not the not the strongest guy. You know, not not overly physical. Um, you know, but can generate some movement in, in the run game as well. Um, you know, I think when you talk about tackles, to me, you you can talk about all the power all you want. You know, if you've got a guy who's who's technically sound, a guy who's going to keep his man in front of him, a guy who is going to a lot of times outwork guys and really beat guys to a spot, understand those angles and be able to, um, you know, feel feel a guy, especially if they're going to be making making that inside move, and you can feel what you know the move that he's making before he actually makes it, and be able to beat him to the punch. That's really what you see out of Jonah Williams, you know, play in and play out. Um, you know, if you watch the national championship, you know Williams took on uh, Cleveland Furl, um, you know, and that was really a lot of fun to watch. You know, Furl beat Williams on a couple of times with his length, um, kind of jacked him back and threw him down on one occasion. But you know, when Williams was patient. You know, stuck uh, to to that superior movement skills. You know, was patient with his hands. Didn't didn't try to reach or lunge or anything like that. Uh, he was really able to neutralize Furl often, just riding him away from the pocket. And, you know, that's with a, a guy who was very explosive coming off the edge. I can see that easily translatable to the next level. I think Jonah Williams is going to start day one, whether it's on the left side, right side. If the Bills need to move him inside the guard, he has that flexibility. To me, Jonah Williams, number nine overall to the Bills. So the Bills, if they don't go uh, wide receiver in round one, they got to go with one in round two, right? Well, you're absolutely correct. Because if you take a look at my mock draft, I actually have the Bills taking Kelvin Harmon, number 40 overall. I had Nikhil Harry there at one point. I think I had A.J. Brown at one point. Uh, you know, Receivers kind of shuffling around. I think this pick could be any number of, of wideouts. But I think Kelvin Harmon, uh, this would be good value here for the Bills. Look, they've got the 31st-ranked uh, passing offense. Uh, Zay Jones, Robert Foster, again, the the top wideouts, they they combined for 83 receptions, uh, just under 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns. No other wide receiver hauled in at least 20 passes or scored a touchdown. So again, John Brown, Cole Beasley, none of them are a number one wideout. I think Harmon's able to do that. Uh, you know, really one of the nation's top wideouts as a sophomore. Um, this was really he jumped on on my radar. You know, and, and really you know, I started watching him uh, quite a bit. Although his junior junior year even better. You know, All American season, 81 receptions, uh, 1186 yards, seven touchdowns. Another big bodied receiver excellent strength you know fighting through press coverage um, get some separation at the top of his routes with his hands as well he's not a burner by any means you know he ran a 4 but he's very savvy does a great job creating late separation when the ball comes in um, also just I think you know one of the things when I think of, of Kelvin Harmon I think of tracking the football uh, down the field you know able to, to really track it over his shoulder adjust to the football in the air and then attacks the ball in the air. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the things that you know the Bills are going to need that downfield threat, a, a guy who's going to be able to create that late separation. Uh, you know, Josh Allen just put it up there and let him go up and get it. And uh, I think uh, Kelvin Harmon could end up being a a safety valve of sorts for Josh Allen. I thought he let you know Harmon did get the allow the ball to to get into his body. At at times, and that's really where, if you listen to my podcast uh, early on in the season, I was kind of down on Harmon a little bit. I was kind of disappointed, especially after you know he really jumped on my radar as a sophomore. Um, But he really redeemed himself by the season's end, you know, really extending for the football, attacking it in the air. Um, And uh, he's he's not the most elusive guy, he's more of a straight line runner. and maybe a possession type receiver, um, you know, at, at times because of his inability to separate. But again, I think he's going to be a, a go-to target for Josh Allen, and uh, would be that number one target that they're looking for there in Buffalo. So Buffalo going offensive tackle or guard, I guess wherever you find Jonah Williams playing, and then wide receiver after that. Which takes us to the Denver Broncos. Now the Denver Broncos, you know, th- this is a pick that could kind of go in a number of directions. I think you know everyone talks about um, John Elway being enamored with, with with Drew Locke. You know, I uh, he, my, my uncle is a is season ticket holder there um, with uh, the University of, uh, of, of of Missouri and said that you know he was there in Columbia. John Elway was watching Drew Locke play. Um, you know, and Elway just hasn't gotten the quarterback situation. You know, uh, right to this point, and you know by trading for uh, Joe Flacco, uh, you know I think this is where he he doesn't need to rush into another situation. I think you know what what you saw after Peyton Manning left, you know you you saw him uh, kind of rush things a little bit. You know there was Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, uh, who they drafted with a twenty sixth overall pick in twenty sixteen, who's not even on the roster anymore. Um, you know, I think they rushed to get that quarterback of the future. Um and and, and they've really struggled since then. You know, they brought in Case Keenum even uh, fresh off that career year in Minnesota, and uh, he failed to to have that encore performance that everyone was expecting. You know, I, I think he brings in Joe Flacco and you really gotta get it right. And you know, I look at Drew Locke, could be on the on the Broncos radar, um, you know, but you know, I, I just I look at, at Denver, and I think this is a, a way for Denver to move on from all this quarterback talk, and, and focus on some other areas. Tight end is definitely a neat area. If T. J. Hawkinson is there, I think that's going to be their pick. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of a, a, um, you know speculation that that might be the, the the pick, and I think that would definitely give Joe Flacco a target up the middle of the field. But Vic Fangio is the head coach. Vic Fangio is the former defensive coordinator at uh, you went know, with Chicago. A season ago, he had an impact rookie in the top ten, in Roquan Smith it makes a ton of sense that Devin White would be the pick here. Now Devin White, you know, uh, you know Brandon Marshall is gone there inside, so you bring in Devin White. Look, a four-four-two forty at the combine, you know the the speed. That you see him play with out on the field, It's it definitely represented you know they're well at the combine. Um, you know works laterally very well from gap to gap. Um, you know forcing running backs to the perimeter has the speed to to, uh, to fill gaps downhill in a hurry. Um, sinks his hips, cuts on a dime, changes directions, and, and then a quick acceleration that you saw with that 40 time uh, and the closing speed to to bring down the ball carrier. Um back to back, 120 ta- plus tackle seasons. Um, you know, just very fluid athlete, um, able to drop back into coverage a little bit as well. Um, you know, uh, a savvy blitzer. And, and to me, I I look at, at Devin White and uh you know he, he's new to the position. Um and, and so I think we've just seen what uh, what Devin White can do, he's a converted high school running back, you know. So the instincts are, are still kind of uh, playing catch up to the athleticism. So yeah, he'll take some false steps from from the initial movement, but he also has the athleticism to to make up for that. So. What's scary is is he's still learning the position and he's able to play at such a high level. He could be a top five pick. I think Denver at number 10 makes the most sense for me. So Denver going inside linebacker. So when are they going to take the quarterback? You know, at some point I had to pencil it in here. You know, I said that they didn't have to rush to judgment or anything like that. Well, what about Daniel Jones there at number 41 overall? I think having a, a guy like Daniel Jones, who was once thought of to p- potentially come off the board in round one, you know, he's the latest David Cutcliffe disciple. Hey, John Elway, you know you have Peyton Manning there. You can talk to Peyton, uh, get some insight. You know, it's, same with David Cutcliffe on Daniel Jones. You know, he lacks ideal arm strength and kind of struggles with ball placement at the time, but he does have a high football IQ. Makes all the throws, um, exceptional pocket presence to avoid the rush and extend plays. Um, if you watch him at the combine, he really struggled to push the ball down the field. Um, you know, he really looked kind of awkward. You know, against Virginia and Miami, he completed just fifty-two percent of his passes for just three hundred and seventy yards, just one touchdown and three interceptions. But then against North Carolina, he finishes with five hundred forty-seven total yards, so that's three hundred sixty-one yards passing and, and you know, one hundred eighty-six yards on the ground. So yeah, the guy can run a little bit. You know, four total touchdowns. Then dominated Temple in the, in the Independence Bowl completed 73.2% of his passes, 423 yards through the air, five touchdowns and just two interceptions. So I look at that, you know, the two interceptions really, you know, were were uh, you know, the inconsistent play that I mentioned there with those, you know, reunion Miami games. Those two interceptions really were on him, ill-advised throws. So that's one of the things that Jones just needs to to clean up a lot of these these weird, you know, it's just it's so uh, inconsistent. You know, he pats the ball double time, you know, multiple times when he's going through his progressions, makes late throws to the open man, um, and just tries to fit the ball in too tight a window at times. It's just really weird. Um, but very accurate with his deep ball, even though he doesn't have the best arm strength. You know, he, I think the timing uh, because he does put enough air under the ball to allow the receiver to run under it without breaking stride, uh, which tells me that he's getting rid of the football uh, on time and in rhythm. Um, so to me, you know, he needs a couple of years of development. He can sit behind an established starter like Joe Flacco, and uh, I don't think that'll be an issue with his overall development. So I think you know Denver gets the quarterback of their defense, that'll fit well with Big Fangio, and then they get the quarterback of their offense in round two. So that is an end of the first. 10 picks and really what my mock draft looks like. Again, I'll be putting out my my second round on the website here in, in just a couple of days. I'll also put out my updated first round mock where I, I you know have Ed Oliver going number five, Jonah Williams number nine. Had to kind of move things around just a little bit, uh, especially, you know, there were some picks that just didn't feel right. And uh, you know, I feel a lot more comfortable with my my top, my first round now and uh, really trying to sort through the the second round just a little bit i think that's part of the fun of putting together mock drafts player personnel that's why i got into doing this um you know 20 years ago you know this will be my 20th draft that i've done a mock draft you know the first one was back in 2000 i was working for Annenberg TV News, a TV station there at USc and i was given a story to project where usc's players will go R.J. Soward, Travis Claridge, Windrell Hayes, Chad Morton, David Gibson did a pretty good job at picking where where they were going to end up coming off the board, Um, but I had so much fun with that that I also put together a mock draft for the, the full first round. And really kind of the rest was history. Um, you know, I've been putting together my mock drafts, sending out to all the NFL franchises there in my early 20s. But, you know, this was before the day of, you know, real, you know, social media. So uh, after a while, sending out, you know, three-round three, three round mock draft really thick to all NFL teams, just uh, wasn't going to cut it. So, you know, shortened that to some of the media outlets, uh, just trying to get my name out the best that I could. Um, you know, over the course of the years, putting it, making it available for my friends and family, and you know, before my my wife really talked me into getting it, uh, getting my own uh, my own website, really allowing uh, everyone out there to see my point of view. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not an insider. I don't have any contacts in the league, but what I do is, is, you know, I, I study games. You know, I, I study the, the game film. You know, it's something, it's my passion. I love to do it. I've watched over 250 games in each of the last four seasons. So, you know, I put in a lot of work. Um, and, you know, breaking things down, enjoy looking at the team needs. Who's gonna be the best fit? You know, who are the best players that are out there? Who's gonna be the best fit for each team? What are the team needs? Who will be the best person for that? And you know, I think having, you know, seen so many players 250 plus games a year, you know, I think I can speak intelligently on just about any player. Uh, in this draft, especially at the FBS level. You know, there's FCS guys that I, I really had to go back and see some some more game film on, and there are a few that, you know, I'll be honest, I still have to to check out a little bit more of. Um, but, you know, it's it's a ton of fun for me. I can't believe that this is going to mark the 20th year that I've put together mock drafts. Um, I've been having a lot of fun, and uh, I don't see any end in sight. Um as long as as my wife can put up with me you know watching watching games during the season putting together uh, all of my analysis and uh, putting together some of those mock drafts and obviously bringing the podcast to you every week um, it's it's been a blast and uh, you know I want to continue doing this as long as i can um, so with that said we've gotten through the top 10 we've got uh, 22 picks to go here in the first round. And obviously we've got less than a month remaining. So after we get through this mock draft, and I'll, again, in a couple of days, I'll post my next podcast, but you know, what we'll do is we'll go fast and furious. We'll look at different positions. We'll go quarterback, running back, receivers, receivers, uh, and tight ends, offensive line, D line, linebackers, secondary. We'll go through that fast and furious. Take a look at each position, where they're at in the draft. Who's going to be going where? Who are the guys that are going to be you know day one, day two, day three picks? Who are going to be the sleepers? Maybe some guys that are overrated a little bit. You know, guys to keep an eye on. Who's going to be in that 2019 All Shoots team? Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out uh, you know. Uh, the website I've got that all broken down there at readyfordraft.com. So without further ado, I want to you know just wish everyone you know a, a you know a, a a good night, good morning, good afternoon, whatever hour it is that you're listening to this. Enjoy yourselves, have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon. We'll talk to you here in just a couple of days, uh, and we'll bring the rest of the mock draft to you. So again for readyforthedraft.com. This is the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am Greg shoots and I am out of here. Take care, everyone. Have a great one.